Hello, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. We are in Sydney, Australia. Beautiful, beautiful summer is kicking off here. If you've never been to Sydney, Australia, we welcome you. And this is the, the nicest time of year. You're listening to the It's a Monkey podcast, where we talk about everything relating to techie, the tech economy, startups, social media, um, cryptocurrencies. I could go on and on, but um, it is Friday, the 25th of November, and this is episode 69 of the podcast. We are trying to come to you weekly. We're working hard, um, <laughs> pretty pretty hard actually, editing them and getting them out and finding guests. So if you do enjoy the podcast, please uh, share it on your social media networks uh, or just tell a friend. We really appreciate it. We have a fantastic podcast coming up um, for you this show. Um, later on in the show, we'll play an interview that we did with Danielle Tate. Tan- Danielle wrote a fantastic um, book aimed at uh, entrepreneurial women. Um, and um, the name of the book is The Elegant Entrepreneur, The Female Founder's Guide to Starting and Growing Your First Business. And uh, we chatted to Danielle about her startups, about her book, about um, you know entrepreneurship in general and as a woman. So that's coming up later on in the show. But first, we're going to kick it off with um, some news. We usually like to have a little bit of a, a, a touch on some of the stories so we can help keep you up to date. And uh, of course, I'd like to welcome, as always, my co-host, um, Design Leader Managed Flitter, Kate Frappel. Kate, thanks for joining us. No problems. Um, So what's going on in the news this week, Kate? So this week, uh, Instagram are trying out a new live video take, um, but has a ephemeral twist to it. So I I like that word ephemeral. That first sort of came back into vogue when Snapchat first launched. So ephemeral being it doesn't last forever, right? Yes. Yeah. It's very, at this stage, very similar to Snapchat. Uh, So basically live broadcasting that expires immediately. So... Instagram's up until now has not had live video. You've been able to take, of course, it started out with photos um, and then it, you could do short clips. How long is the clips on Instagram? Do you know? Not off the top of my head. Okay, so you could do short clips, uh, video, but you couldn't do live video that um, has become, um, I wouldn't say popular, but it's become uh, possible on Facebook yeah. and um, on Twitter as well through their Periscope app. And so now Instagram offering the live video, but their twist saying, well, it's not going to last forever. On Facebook, when your live video is finished, it sort of bundles that into a, a video that people can replay on your feed. But Instagram mm-hmm. saying, um, if people don't see it at the time, it's gone forever. Yes. And it's also um, part of the the take on this is that people will be more relaxed if they know that it's not being saved, that it's going to expire and disappear. They can relax and be more themselves while broadcasting. But I mean, if someone's if someone's filming you, you're not going to know whether it's um, Periscope, Facebook, or Instagram unless they tell you, right? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but what's interesting is they sort of like. It, they Instagram, but they now getting into ephemeral, which is Snapchat's yes. side of yeah. things. So it's it's. I wonder if it's like a little a little sort of um, little jab, a little jab, <laughs> just saying, hey, we're here and uh, we're not gonna we're not gonna give up this fight lightly. No, I think uh, one of the articles I read, uh, a spokesperson from Instagram admitted that it looks very similar to Snapchat, but it won't stay that way. 
Okay. So, of course, there's a very competitive at the moment. We spoke in last week's podcast on Snapchat's going to IPO. Snapchat's, uh, you know, growing pretty quickly. Instagram is, is owned by Facebook and it's got all the benefits of that. Um, you know, I used to use live video on my Nokia 10 years ago. There was an <laughs> Is that app. even possible? <laughs> Amazing, right? There was an app called Quick that was funded by Mark Andreessen from uh, famous Netscape and now Andreessen Horowitz. Yeah. And um, yeah, I used to, uh, it was the early days of Facebook and the early days of Twitter. And I used to hit record on my little Nokia and it would ping a link to both of those networks and say Kevin is now live and it used to work amazingly and that was even pre this you know the the new age of smartphones so so was that just audio or no it was it was video and audio oh wow yeah. okay because the Nokia's oh I think my first Nokia I don't think it even had a camera no this was sort of you know this was just around the iPhone time okay you know, one of the a more advanced Nokia. Oh uh, yeah, a more advanced Nokia. But you know, this live streaming video was a, I and I used to use it quite a lot. Um, you know, and um, so it's been around for a little while, but mm. it seems to be you know making a resurgence. I've noticed the New York Times has been doing a lot of live video on Facebook, oh, uh, wow. which has been quite interesting, especially during this election period. Um, they a few days ago they went into. Um, a, a meeting of the young Republicans at I think either Columbia University or New York University and they live streamed the discussion they were having which was mm. sort of interesting they seem to be experimenting a little bit yeah. with, with live videos so I think some of the big media is going to be doing more and more of it but you know what though I think a lot of those news channels need to realize that and probably have that people aren't going to be using newspapers or necessarily visiting their websites that they need to get people where they already are which is facebook absolutely it's uh, facebook it is you know to a lesser degree twitter and snapchat as well yeah um and yeah look i mean i think there'll definitely be um you know times where it's you know if you have someone on the scene and they stream absolutely live i mean there, there is some of that that that's mm -hmm. gone on you know cnn were the first and the, the gulf war was the first war that was sort of streamed live in a way okay. you know mm -hmm. um so it's sort of half been happening but yeah it's it's you know now it's in our phone on the platform but anyway instagram we'll see um we'll see what happens with that live video we'll we'll try it out and by the way you can follow kate and myself on snapchat my snapchat username is um kevdg i believe um anyway i've tweeted it out you can just go through the manage flitter the the podcast uh, monkey podcast yeah <laughs> um twitter and you can i'll put them in the show notes as well so that's instagram live video other really interesting story kate is um Google Translate. Um, mm. Now, Google Translate is, you know, users, that's, uh, that's the service they use to translate web pages. It's a service you can manually translate um, um, sort of text. Um, the first time I really was um, experienced the real benefit of Google Translate when I was in 2010, when I was in Israel, and they, obviously the first language is not English. And... Um, you don't realize, but you're hitting all these websites that are in a language, not only you can't read, you can't understand, you're pretty stuck, right? So even if you want to look up a bus time or you want to book a movie or, and Google Translate just brings it all to life. Bam, you know, mm. and because it automatically translates the entire page, right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you can toggle it, and, and but if you choose, you know, always translate it. Yeah. 
And it just dawned on me that, wow, fantastic, you know. And being in Australia where everything is English, we never bump up against other languages. We don't really realize, you know, we, we're so sort of uh, Anglo-centric in that yeah. way. Um, but I, so I stumbled upon this article that says Google is reworking its translate algorithms to a, a neural network type approach. Whereas up until now, the way they've dealt with translation is it's sort of small snippets of the sentence, right? So maybe yeah. a few words and, and a phrase. Um, and now they, with the, this neural network uh, approach, they're looking at the entire context. Yeah, the entire sentence. Yeah. Um, I know other times if I've put in you know certain sentences that somebody might send me in another language it's i sort of feel that translate is a a good tool to get the gist of what they're saying but it doesn't give me a thorough english conversion of that sentence you wouldn't trust it no more than just exactly that a couple of facts a couple of the the yeah. the, the, the sort of core facts and they give an example on their web page um, from german to english using the old translation um the translation so they have a sentence in german and the old translation said um, no problem can be solved from the same consciousness that they have arisen right so that's using the old google translate method the new google translate um, problems can never be solved with the same way of thinking that caused them now pretty pretty significant difference in in its flow and i mean the first the first translation is almost poetic that's so it's so yeah. wrong and jarring and it's it's the correct you understand what they're saying but you don't use consciousness in that context generally no like you wouldn't repeat that yes verbally exactly. yeah but um you know so it's a much more smooth and seamless way and this is you know the push to sort of all this machine learning and ai and you know google's even reworked their algorithms you may have noticed over the last i don't know year two years where the search results seem to you know you get a lot more older search results and it's you can see they've been doing something and that's their whole sort mm. of machine learning ai approach to all of their problems yeah the um I read, which is interesting as well, that they have a translate community of multilingual individuals who mm -hmm. are helping them, uh, I guess, teach the AI so it can learn what the um, what the sentences mean and what a correct translation is. Because, of course, one of the advantages of these systems is that they're always learning, yeah. right? So if yeah, you if you kickstart it and you have people feeding into it. Um, I mean, the main amazing that you did these YouTube videos and you know articles about robots teaching robots. You know, so mm. um, interesting. So I think as well they've um, got an API. So this same technology, you can um, grab it yourself and build upon it. Yep, they say, and there's more coming today. Google Cloud Platform, our public cloud services, offers machine learning APIs that make it easy for anyone to use a machine learning technology. I like the way they say that, that make it easy for anyone to use a machine <laughs> learning technology. Just anyone could pick it up and yeah, use just, it. <laughs> you know, that's, uh, you know, just hook into their machine learning APIs. Um, Today, Google Cloud Platform is also making the system behind neural machine translation available for all businesses through Google Cloud Translation API. So um, they haven't rolled this out entirely. I think 35% of all their translate queries at the moment are going through the new 
um, Translate engine, but they'll be rolling that out across the board. And, um, you know, there's a real incredible coming together of technologies, you know, like text processing and translation and robotics and you know, even things like 3D printing and 3D organic printing where you can print, you know, uh, organic material. And I saw an ear being printed in New York last year from a tiny, yeah, yeah, Uh you know, and and, um, based on a, on on some uh, DNA material, et cetera, you know, it's so Mm. it's. There's a real coming together of a lot of these technologies mm. that... Um, I recently had someone ask me, they brought up, oh, whatever happened to 3D printing? I said, oh, I think you can get it done at Officeworks now. And they're like, what? <laughs> can <laughs> can you? So Officeworks is our local sort of, it's the equivalent of Kinko's in the States. The States, I thought they had Staples. Staples as well. Yeah. yeah? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Staples as well. I think Kinko's still exists. Or Kinko? Kinko's was bought by FedEx, I think. So I think it's FedEx Kinko's now. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I did. I've never heard of Kinko's. But you haven't? I've heard of it, Staples. It, it used to exist in Australia as well. Oh, okay. But it, but it struggled and went broke. Amazing story behind Kinko's, actually. One guy who started it and became this thing that students just, you know, just always relied on. I think it was open 24 hours and, you know, people could just, you could get your assignment printed. And this was also a little bit in the days when, you know, not everyone had a laser printer at home and True. needed binding and, you know, anyway. I, and As a design student, I'll tell you, I spent a lot of time at Officeworks. <laughs> it's my second home for a few years there. Yeah, it's um, come a long way since then. And um, that's... Um, the news for this week. We still, by the way, we still got the startup minute running. Where I've reached out to a few people, and uh, we don't get an email every week. But if you want to be featured, we've got this feature that we're going to run. Um, you know, as often as we get the emails coming in through to us. If you have a startup or you work for a startup, um, you can send us through an email to podcast at itsamonkey.com. And you can, if you don't remember that email, just head to our website or tweet us, and we'll help you out. And you can just get a forty-five minutes. Uh, sorry, not 45 minutes, 45 seconds. Seconds. Um, just tell us about your startup and we'll give you a link on our page. Now, links are very valuable for SEO purposes. And when you're starting out just as a startup, you believe me, you need all the help you can get getting links. So um, if you'd like that, it's our way of just giving something back to um, the startup community that we love being a part of. So um, you know, we'll, we'll still run the startup minute every now and then. Um, so we're going to take a short break. And after the break, um, we're going to... Um, have our interview with Danielle um, and we talk to her about everything relating to entrepreneurship, uh, female entrepreneurship, tech entrepreneurship. So stick around and we'll be back after this. Hi, my name is Dave Zarati and I'm the customer support specialist here at ManageFlitter. ManageFlitter is a tool that helps you work faster and smarter on Twitter. With ManageFlitter, you can clean up and grow your Twitter account. You will also get access to useful Twitter analytics, social content scheduling, and much more. Go to manageflitter.com and start your free trial today. You're back with It's a Monkey podcast where we talk about everything relating to tech, everything relating to the tech economy, and everything relating to entrepreneurships and startups. And I bumped into a book the other day um, that's... um, I, I page through. I sort of read a lot of books. I read a lot of books about startups, tech, entrepreneurship, all that uh, sort of exciting stuff. And I came across a book called The Elegant Entrepreneur. And um, I tracked down 
the author. And I'm happy to say um, from Washington, D.C., I have uh, Danielle Tate, um, who is the author of the, Elega the Elegant Entrepreneur. And if you just um, listen to this, um, the, the kudos that this book has got, voted number one, best entrepreneurship inspiring book, number one, personal development book for entrepreneurs, and number one, nonfiction book for women in, the tw in their 20s on Goodreads and the Amazon bestseller and top rated Kindle book in the startup category, written as a guide from idea to exit for women with ideas, not MBAs. Danielle, thanks, for very, thanks very much for making time to join us on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. I was, uh, I, last night over dinner, I uh, went to one of my favorite um, health food stores and ordered some, some very trendy uh, bread with avocado. And I, and, I, and I speed read your book. And I've only got one piece of feedback for your book. And that is, it's absolutely fantastic. And it applies, and it would be super interesting to way more than uh, female entrepreneurs in their 20s. It's really, really just captures so much of the language of entrepreneurship and the framework and the shape of entrepreneurship that people that want to start their businesses but don't understand necessarily how all the sort of building blocks work and, and even some of the, the phrases that they need to understand. And your book just covers it succinctly and and wonderfully. So uh, firstly, congratulations on on writing a book. I can see the work that went into it. Thank you. It was a startup in and of itself, getting it written and crowdsourcing the editing before professional editing. It was not something I intended to do, but it was pointed out to me that there are so many other people that have good ideas for businesses, but don't necessarily have a business education or background. And we're all searching for that one book that's like, here's how you do it in plain English, and here's how it feels. And so I ended up writing the book I always looked for when I started my first company. And the few things that I really like about the book is one, you're an entrepreneur yourself. So you've been there. Uh, you know, it's very hard to, uh, you know, the book's written by consultants or academics. I'm not saying they don't have their place, but there's definitely a special flavor when you're reading a book and someone says, when I was going through this or when I did that, it definitely, um, you know, adds a, a, a depth um, that's that's very relevant. And the other thing I really liked about your book is the actual references at the end of each chapter relating to that chapter. A lot of books that I recognize and I read, but but super useful um, for the first time. And and it's not fluffy uh, yet. Um, it's it's relatively robust, but it's also quite an, an easy read as well. It's also not not heavy and dreary. So um, it's 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 I can see why you've uh, raced to the top of all those categories. Well, thank you. Yeah, I intentionally wrote quickly. Nobody wants to read 800 pages on startup. They want to get started. And it's very unconventional to list other books to read within your book. But I don't, you know, I'm not the expert on every single step. And there are books that have made a huge impact in my entrepreneurial adventures. So I wanted to make sure that the reader had what they needed to really get started successfully. So let's, let's talk about... Um Firstly, I think, um, you know, women in technology, women in startups, um, it's, it's obviously gets spoken about quite a lot. And I think it's fantastic that, that you've targeted it at women. It's one of the fastest growing groups of, of uh, entrepreneurs. I see something popped up on my feed earlier this week that New York has opened a co-work space for women only, which I found quite interesting. Um, I'm not sure if you've seen that yet. 
I miss that we do have something in DC called Hira Hub, which is also a, a women-only co-working space. You know, you know what I find, Danielle. I, you know, our team. I'm proud to say, even though we've got a small tech team, um, you got, we, you know, we've got a few really smart uh, female tech women. And what I find um, is that they don't back themselves enough. You know, so often they they're extremely smart, extremely capable. And they second guess, I find them second guessing themselves a little bit more uh, than the guys. I'm obviously generalizing like mad, but um, <laughs> with, with a couple of my team members, I'm, I, you know, I push them and say, you can do this, you're fine. And they just, I'm like, this is easily within your capability. And they, 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 there's sort of an extra layer of humility. And of course, be, there's cultural differences between Australia and America, but um, you know, I'm always trying to sort of nudge them uh, forward a little bit to back themselves. It's, it's I think, you know, again, generalizing, which is a terrible thing to do. As women, at least I was brought up to, to not brag about myself and to be demure. And so in entrepreneur world and in pitch contests and in getting funding, that is the worst possible time to downplay um, how smart you are and how great your idea is and why you're the best possible person to make this company successful. So um, there's some different mindsets that work well for women. And, and, you know, in corporate America, they talk about the glass ceiling and in entrepreneurship, I call it the sticky floor. Like a woman can think of every reason why it won't work. And if you could just get her shoved into starting, she'll do a bang up job with a startup. Um, yeah, I've spent a lot of time in New York and, um, you know, the, the female entrepreneurs there and investors there are just fantastic. And what I love about it is the diversity. It's not just, you know, fashion or, um, you know, one of those more traditional areas or marketing. It's, it's blockchain technology. It's AR. It's VR. It's, uh, um, you know, private equity. And I, I really love the depth that's going on in New York at the moment. And um, I think Australia is, is starting along those paths obviously uh, Melanie Perkins from from Canva who we featured on one of our previous podcasts um, I believe you're a Canva user I love Canva and I, I was listening in on the podcast just to sort of get a feel for it and I was like I had no idea it was an Australian startup much less female founded so um, I wish I'd tapped her for an interview in the book but maybe in the future I'm sure in your updated version um, you can drop <laughs> Melanie a line and great story so you, you know there's there's uh, on our end there's there's women doing fantastic things as well so um, uh, it's and I think you know and I think you know we we talk a lot about diversity in teams and cross-functional teams and I think uh, you know I think uh, men and women you know work well together that that diversity I think I think we can both benefit from um, being open to collaborating you know deeper and harder I think our different mindsets our different approaches our different socialization can have benefits to have to a diversified team I completely agree. I really like co-founded multi-gender, multi-nationality teams because they end up with much more unique and interesting solutions to problems because they have such different backgrounds and perspectives. So tell me um, about your company, uh, um, Miss Now Mrs. It's, it's a really interesting, I must say, when I, when I, when, when I was reading your bio and, and uh, you were describing it or it's, you know, reading the description of the company, I just thought to myself, wow, talk about an interesting niche. And what's most interesting, and this is, you know, such a valuable lesson for first-time entrepreneurs, there's this phrase um, that, uh, that we use a lot, and I'm sure you've heard it as well, is eating your own dog food, right? It's like if you're going to use your own product, that's a fantastic place to start. If you've got a problem, 
there's a high likelihood that there's one or two or three or thousands of people with that same problem. So just take us back to the problem that you had and how that landed up um, inspiring you to hold, build a whole business around it. Sure. So I am very much an, an accidental entrepreneur. And um, the idea that sparked this this rather large company um, was born of my own frustrations. So when I got married, I decided to change my last name and you know, pretty organized, had all my paperwork in order. And it took me three separate trips to get my driver's license with my new married name. And I was just so frustrated at the bureaucracy and the waste of time, my time especially. And so I was like, why isn't there something, some sort of service that that sort of automates this process? And so my company, Miss Now Misses, is an online name change service for brides. And what it does is it condenses the tedious 13-hour process of changing your name across you know, all of your government and state level and personal documentations into 30 minutes for $30. And what was so exciting, and I still, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a scrappy entrepreneur, and I love the, the zero to one phase. And when I read that part in your book, um, where you got your first user, paid user, after, only 30 minutes after putting up the Google AdWords, I just got that buzz. And I just like, I want to start a new business tomorrow. I love <laughs> that's the moment. That's the moment that I love the most when you get your first customer. You know, there's a great line in a U2 song and he says, um, you know, the end is not as fun as the start, you know, and I think in startups, boy, it's in, in a way it's so true because as you mature into a business, all the, 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 the admin and, you know, keeping the ship sort of just running is very different to, you know, all that work and then you switch on the ad word and boom, you've got your first paid customer. I will never forget Wendy. Yeah, just instant validation of all of the time, all of the hours, all of the stress, just boom out of the gate. And we were profitable month one. So, yeah, we had we had quite the start. It was like the adrenaline junkie in me was just like arms waving, excited about it. Unfortunately, once you're bitten by that bug, um, it's 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 a terminal illness. You are going to be. <laughs> you, I agree. You, you are going to be hooked for life. And now you've got over three hundred thousand customers. Um, in in two countries, I I believe that's that's the U.S. and Canada. Is that correct? That is correct. We just tripped over uh, three hundred fifty thousand customers, so that's that's always a nice metric. Fantastic. I mean, it's uh, that's and, and and you know, I think I meet a lot of people that that really over reflect on on the complexity of the idea and and oh, you know, I've got to get into AR and VR and big data and you know, insert buzzword here, um, but. <laughs> You know, there's an infinite number of businesses just to provide tools or services to make life easier. You know, it's, it's, it's you know, being from South Africa, you know, I have gold rush analogies, but, you know, the, selling shovels during the gold rush and you know, selling pans during the gold rush, it was a huge, huge business, you know. Oh, I believe it. So, um, you, you know, it's not always the, 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 the super deep complex tech, you know, just something, um, you know, like your service. Um, I, I wonder, is there an equivalent in Australia? Do you know? 
Um, I'm not sure. I dug around quite some time ago as I was looking at possibly expanding into Australia. And at that point, this was maybe two, three years ago, there wasn't anything similar. So um, I was mainly, it didn't make sense for me to foray into sure. into your lovely country without a really good partner who had already had the bride. So a huge planning website, for instance, um, that would have made it very simple to roll out. Um, so at the time, it wasn't, it wasn't quite worth the investment in the research to, to then chase a new market but it's not off the table yeah i would imagine it's 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 relatively um, specific to each jurisdiction i mean australia's bureaucracy is is pretty good as far as bureaucracies go i mean i grew up in south africa when you wanted to renew your driver's license you had to be um, at the office at 6 a.m otherwise you would not make it um, to renew it and you would it would be a whole day's exercise i still can't get used to the fact that in australia you can walk into the rta which is new south wales roads and traffic authority and you can renew your license if you're lucky in 15 20 minutes i i still just oh, that's i still just put me out of business <laughs> So and that's an, and that's another lesson for entrepreneurs that that each market has its own set of problems. You know, something that's a problem in one market might not be a market in another. Um, so it so it varies. But yeah, bureaucracy is relatively good. But I'm not to say I'm not familiar with um, this particular area. I've n- I've never um, actually we changed our surname in South Africa officially, but that was to, to make it contraction. Um, to make it smaller wasn't due to um, any any marriage or anything like that. But do most women these days in America, do they still change their name? It's a huge market. So in the U.S. alone, there's 2.3 million marriages annually, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and 88% of them still change their name. 88%. So, so the majority, is that figure dropping or staying the same or… It's fluctuated, um, uh-huh. and what's bubbling up is a f- rather fabulous um, sociological observation in talking to over 300,000 women. The latest generation of women um, are so very confident in their equal status in a relationship that a lot of the, the negative connotations of being change of you know, ownership, etc., really don't even enter their mind. It's a matter of personal preference. Sometimes it's a matter of showing they're very committed. Sometimes they just, you know, at the end of the alphabet and tired of being called last right. <laughs> for everything. But um, the, it's, there's a slow uptick um, that I'm seeing. So a lot of women are taking their maiden as their middle name. And that's a way to hang on to that maiden name, but not have a mouthful of two last names. And is there any um, trend of men changing their last name? Does that happen at all? That does happen. Here in the States, there are only seven of the 50 states that allow a gentleman to change his name huh. using the married name change process. Um, so I have I have a few customers that have used Miss Now Misses and just had to turn a blind eye to, to all of the cakes and wedding dresses, but um, uh, not very many gentlemen, no. Interesting. I'm, I'm, I, my gut tells me um, Australia is similar to America in trends. If I think of my friends... I would think about yeah, 80% of them that get married uh, have changed their name. Some have hang on to them, usually for professional reasons. Actually, they've built you know, medical practice or something, and they just you know, prefer to keep going with the momentum. Uh, but, um, yeah, interesting. Um, one of the areas in your book that you spoke upon 
Um, well, a couple of areas that I made made notes about, which which I think people can definitely focus on. The 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 the, the two areas I noted were were mentors and and building out your support network before you need it. And I I really can't emphasize the importance of both enough. You know, it's and particularly if you're a solo founder, but even if you're not a solo founder, um, you know, to have an accountant that you can trust, to have a lawyer you can trust, to have friends you can process this with, to have mentors that have been there. And don't wait until the shit hits the fan. And just as a note, the shit is going to hit the fan. As sure as the sun will rise in the east at some stage and probably multiple stages, the shit is going to hit the fan. And to have someone you can talk to or multiple people when I am going through a tough week for whatever reason, um, I will go through my mentor list and I mentor other people. So I think that if anything, it's almost one of one of the best tips. It's a long and hard journey and, um, you know, life's hard, entrepreneurship's, entrepreneurship's hard. We need to help each other along the way. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like to, to have an entire subchapter to devoted to building a support team before you need one. There's sort of this invisible safety net. Um, obviously, we're not risk averse. We're, we're entrepreneurs. But knowing that, yes, it's an investment, but I do have a good business lawyer who has helped me tremendously in intellectual property theft cases and all kinds of things, um, to have a proper business accountant, to have advisors that have done things um, in e-commerce, just having those people know from the beginning what you're doing and help you form this company and understand the story and keeping them engaged and updated. So when, as you said, it shit hits the fan, you're not all of a sudden, you know, frantically Googling, ooh, business lawyer Sydney. You're you have someone who not only knows you, but knows your business and the best way to help you. You mentioned um, intellectual property issues, and uh, it, you mentioned in your book that that you hit to talk about the the, the proverbial uh, hitting the fan. Um, you hit a bit of a bump in the road. Tell us tell us about what happened, um, how you dealt with it, and how you came out the other end. Sure, I hit actually seven bumps in the road, but uh, the biggest <laughs> one was by far the first one. Uh-huh. Um, So at heart, I'm a nice Methodist girl from Pennsylvania, from a very small town. And so I think I was a bit naive as an entrepreneur. I thought, you know, you have this great idea, you work really hard, you launch it, and, you know, you continue to do the hard work, but you reap the successes and everyone does their own thing. And in reality, when you have a good idea, other people are like, ooh, that's a good idea. That's that's making money. Maybe I should do that too. So we had an instance where... A, uh, a gentleman came in and logged into the site over 170 times mm-hmm. and mined all of the data, all of the processes, all of the forms out of Miss Now Misses and created a copycat website with almost the same logo, stole the story that you know he and his wife got married and there wasn't a name change service and started to catch some press and gain some traction. And um, I had the very difficult decision as a very young founder, I was, what, 25, um, to either take the money coming in, take business revenue and fight in court over this, or to try to use that money to outgrow and outmarket this copycat competitor. And after weighing it all out, I realized we were just too new. We hadn't built a brand yet. We hadn't locked up the strategic partnerships we needed. And so I made the very difficult decision to to engage in this legal battle. And um, I think the lowest point in my entrepreneurial career to date um, was testifying in federal court 
eight months pregnant. I was just mm. terrified that I was going to hurt my, my, my little boy and I was scared I was going to lose my other baby, my company and be bankrupt. And um, in the end, we ended up settling in my favor. But it was it was a tremendously scary journey. And I encourage every listener to make sure you have excellent terms and conditions or terms of use for your, your product or your website and get a business lawyer to write them because that's what really stood up and and saved us wow that's really um you know it's that's really a must must be a defining moment but i think you know when you go through these these tough periods uh, all you can do is just keep on walking through them yes and um you 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 come out the you come out the better end um you know learning and and growing and no doubt it's 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 I think the, the, the issues that I find the hardest are when, are when people let you down. I mean, I think I'm like you where I, I, I give a huge amount of trust and assume the best from people. And when people let you down, it's very, very heartbreaking. It's, uh, it's, it's almost a double whammy, you know, as opposed to some technical issues or, or it's just the marketplace having a bit of bad luck. But when human beings, when you see, when you see the worst of them, it can be uh, very disheartening. Yeah, demoralizing almost. Yeah, and all the focus for your startup that should be going into innovation and partnerships is getting sucked into this really negative battle. So yeah, it, it was a very interesting point that I'm very glad that I managed to uh, pull myself through. And on the flip side, you know, startups also can't over-engineer things like legals and things like that because you, you know sometimes people come to me and they you know I haven't started my business but I'm you know I'm going to spend all this money registering this and registering that and and having you know professional employment contracts and they're going to spend a fortune of money and I just say whoa 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 just you know it's it's you your timing is a little bit off on that you know, you can you can get proof of concept and you can. It depends what type of business it is, you know, but you can get a little bit of traction beforehand. And that's the art of the startup is finding that sweet spot of doing too much or do doing little to under engineering or over engineering, whether it's your tech or whether it's your process or whether it's your legals. You've got to find that sweet spot. I completely agree. And you're right. Like you don't have to be, you know, armor plated when you start, but just think about what what the special sauce is. What is that key thing that makes your company different and special and successful? And and think of maybe an innovative way to protect it. So now we have a locking mechanism. If a user check goes through three or four different forms um, on the passport side, we lock their account and have a little pop-up that says, hey, you might misunderstand how to use this. Please give customer support a call. And if it's a bride who's lived many places or is truly confused, of course we turn her account on. If it's someone digging for data, um, they go away. So it doesn't always have to be a high dollar solution for security. So tell me also, what have been the, the benefits of writing the book? I speak to a lot of people and a lot of people um, you know, think of writing a book. Was this merely a labor of love? Has it actually fed back into profile for your business? Um, you know, any, any other unintended positive or even negative consequences of having a successful book? So I had no intention of, of writing a book. Um, <laughs> again, as an accidental entrepreneur, it took me a while to even take the title entrepreneur seriously. I'm like, oh, I have a small business. Oh, I have a website. Um, but then someone pointed out that there's this vast pool of humanity that 
have great ideas but don't have MBAs and don't know how to start and wouldn't it be helpful if they had you know a guide that that was written expressly for them so that's how I started the book and one of the biggest ripple effects so far is just the occasional email or tweet um, where someone's like you know what I read your book and I started up or I read your book and I'm partway through and I found a new way to scale so that big give back is rippling back in in companies, particularly from women. And then another positive outcome has been um, speaking opportunities. Um, I had never really done a great deal of, of public speaking. I was busy, you know, running a company and raising a small child. And now I'm going to colleges and talking at very large companies about ideas and innovation and entrepreneurship. And that's been a really exciting new chapter of life. You mentioned you're raising a child as well. I mean, um, I, I don't have children and um, my business is my baby. You referred to that earlier. You've got two babies. Um, how, you know, how does that go? I mean, I, 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 when I picture that, I picture that must be really tough. You know, there are, I usually have the best of both worlds. Occasionally, I have the worst of both. But in, in being an entrepreneur, I have have a flexible lifestyle. Do I work more than the average woman? Absolutely. Do I choose when I work? I do. And so I time my day in such a way where most of the time I pick my son up from school because that's the 10 minutes, that 10 minute ride home is when he tells me all about his day. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then of course I have a nanny when we get home and she watches him, but then we all have dinner together. We hang out, he goes to bed at 7.30 and I go back to work. So I feel like entrepreneurship is... A really wonderful vehicle, especially for women, to define success on their own terms. They don't have to fit this round peg into a square hole of corporate America. They can figure out, you know what, I can hire to backfill some of my duties when my children are very little because I don't want to miss that opportunity or, you know, exit and then start the next company. So uh, while it can be complicated, I think that they, they go together very well. And I consider my son my favorite startup. Nice. <laughs> do you read him, do, do you read him TechCrunch articles to sleep? Oh, he's hilarious. Um, he does ha know way too many entrepreneurial words. And I just finished writing um, an alphabet book for children based on entrepreneurship. E is for entrepreneur. I just need to find an illustrator and that'll come out because, yeah, he's like, Mama, I need to know about this. And what, what, what do you mean by innovative? We have all these magnets all over the office and he was running yeah. around looking at them. And so it's, it's very cool to see to see entrepreneurship through the eyes of a child. It sounds, sounds very cute. Does he ever sort of um, stomp his feet and say, you know, we have to pivot today, mom? <laughs> no, but he does come up with some pretty grand business ideas. Um, what was it the other day? Um, oh, he's going to make a better gumball. <laughs> so, and so... It, yeah, we're talking. I'm like, okay, well, who's your market? He's like, well, all the kids at school. I'm like, well, how much money do they have? So walking him through these steps, um, I think Albert Einstein said, if you can't explain it to a five-year-old, you don't understand it yourself. Um, so in explaining it to him, it made writing the book easier. <laughs> ain't that the truth? I mean, one of my frustrations is meeting people and, um, you know, at, at, at meetups or whatever. And 
and I, even in, in areas that I'm familiar with, like, like marketing tech or something, and I can't get my head around what they're trying to do. And I just think if you can't explain it in a tweet and people can understand it, you, you've, you've got to rework that. There's, you know, people are going to um, struggle to understand that. But I think, you know, the, the kids' market's quite interesting because, you know, going back to that phrase of being able to eat your own dog food, you know, I've always wondered in markets like, with kids or you know older people or where you where you can't necessarily you've got to project yourself into those markets i think you've got an extra layer of complexity and risk and obviously reward as well but um they'd be really really interesting markets yeah and it's it's fun like um i think the advantage of being an entrepreneur with multiple companies and multiple revenue streams is you can you can take those smaller risks because it's not the thing that's paying your rent. So you can do the children's book and sort of see what happens. Um, whereas if it was your first startup and how you were trying to feed your family and pay your mortgage, that would not be where I would where I would start. You know, one of Australia's biggest exports, I believe, is um, the Wiggles, I think it's called. <laughs> do you, are, you, are you aware of them? I'm aware of them. My son's best friend was just obsessed with them. Um, we, we missed the bandwagon on that, but um, what a lovely export. There are a lot of kids that love the Wiggles. I believe they even went to a Wiggles concert here in D.C. Yeah, we have some, we have some uh, interesting, interesting exports. Um, um, Danielle, what do you think of you know, women in Silicon Valley, San Francisco? There's obviously Sheryl Sandberg, who I think is amazing. Her talk on um, resilience at I think it was Berkeley um, at the Berkeley graduation ceremony a few months ago it was just fantastic. Um, you, you know, to pe- people listening to this podcast, if you listen to one talk this year, look up Sheryl Sandberg's talk about resilience and and let's face it, in life in general and 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 as an entrepreneur, you, you know, resilience is a must. So she's super smart and her her whole lean in philosophy. There's Marissa Mayer, who's I've heard talk at conferences and boy, does her mind work at a million miles an hour. Um, but do you feel there is still still a way to go in 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 sort of equality to the point where it sort of becomes a non-issue and we don't have to have this conversation anymore? Yes, I feel like we're at a tipping point, especially here in the United States. Um, when I first started my company as a woman in tech, I mean, I was the only woman in the room, which I'm totally fine with. I, I love guys and I enjoy working with men. But um, over the years, I feel like now we're 30% of the room sometimes. And some, I mean, I wouldn't go as far as to say 50%, but not in the numbers, but in just the comfort level. Like, oh, she's a woman in tech. That's not a big deal. Female founders are highly profitable here in the States. I think the one place, I mean, there are several places, but the biggest place that sticks out to me where there's still a good bit of room to improve all the way around would be funding. Mm. Um, I think less than 2% of um, venture-backed companies have a woman in a lead um, position as a co-founder or as a CEO, C-level management person. And um, as a woman, especially pitching female-related solutions and companies, it can be very difficult to explain the problem to a room full of elderly white men who don't understand. So you end up making a lot of analogies to sports or to cars to help them sort of figure out the problem you're solving for half the population. So I think the more women that become angel investors and venture capitalists, um, the the easier that will be and the more diverse the ecosystem of funding will become. I think there's a probably a broader issue with um, 
VC sort of industry in general that's not just, you know, a male woman. It's, it's, it's a certain type of pedigree, you know, of male as well, you know, which, which, you know, even migrants may have, you know, more difficulty with or things like that. I mean, so basically just more diversity on the investment side of things would be better for everyone, in, you know, including the people currently in, in that industry. I agree. Somebody told me recently that your net worth is your network. And if you didn't go to certain schools or if you're new to a, a country and still have amazing ideas, there should be someone who understands you and hopefully looks like you um, that's available to support you. And I feel like crowdfunding is also helping as well because it lets you reach a much broader audience that may understand your problem um, more so than, than larger venture capital firms. So you um, based in D.C., is that correct? That is correct, 12 miles from the White House. And um, what's the most famous startup that's come out of D.C.? We don't hear about D.C. that much. It's obviously governments. I would imagine there's, there's a, a lot of government-related startups there. I mean, yours is almost a – I mean, it's a bureaucratic startup, for lack of a – it's not the most sexy phrase, but in a way it is. <laughs> Um, Living Social. I don't know if you're familiar sure. with them. Sure. Uh, they were they were DC founded, although we just you know they were just purchased by Groupon for a negligible fee, so not not our shining star any longer. Um, a ton of tech companies, a lot of military. I'm trying to caught me off guard on that one. I'm going to get you know harassed no, by people no after problem. this podcast for not mentioning their companies. But um, no, um, our media does a great job covering um, politics. They do a very poor job covering um, business and entrepreneurship and startups. So um, it's a little bit frustrating living here because there are, it's a hotbed. There are so many cool tech companies coming through and doing things and innovating. And then they have to go begging in New York and, and Silicon Valley to get funding and get recognition. So there are a lot of us here in DC working very hard to sort of change that. And what's, um, what's DC like at the moment? I mean, by the time this interview plays, um, the election might be done and dusted, although who knows what's going on. But what's, what's the vibe? You know, I mean, the whole world is just enthralled by this, I don't even know what to call it, to the story, this drama, this, this soap opera. Soap opera, yeah, that's going on. What's, uh, what's the feeling on the streets there? We are all very embarrassed. Um. <laughs> On the worldscape to to just um, be under the microscope uh, on this particular election, I don't think it matters what party you're affiliated with. Um, I think we're all scratching our head and wondering how did it get to this point? What's broken in our electoral process that that put us where we are currently? So I think we have been beat to death with with media coverage of, of every nuance of the election of the candidates. And we're all done. I can't wait for election day to just be done with it and deal with the fallout and, and, and muddle through for four years and start over get on with our lives i mean even in australia we we saturated by it so i can't imagine what the the saturation and it is it is a bit perplexing i mean i've spent a lot of time in the u.s i love the u.s i love americans i mean so, so some amazingly smart people i mean even there's amazingly smart people in your government you know you've got incredible people there and and sort of why those haven't sort of trickled up you know but i think it's it's also in fairness it's it's such a thankless job as well. You know, it's just such a, such a tough job. You look at poor Barack Obama, how he's 
aged, you know. I mean, the stress of that job is just be. So we talk about startup stress, but wow, that that would, you know, you're getting a, f- a fixed income. You don't have to worry about that. But in terms of the whole world's, you know, social dynamics, military dynamics, all of that at your fingertips, very, very difficult. No, I agree. And we always, I look at Canada and their prime minister and he has done the things he said he was going to do and is quite likable and dynamic and makes very logical decisions. And I'm like, you know, we have an even larger population pool than Canada just per capita. I'm like, how, what are they doing that we could, could mimic? Like, how can we pivot our system to, um, to innovate and make this a little bit better? So um, I think we're all just sort of um, holding our eyes shut and, and trotting along and um, really hoping to make the best of whatever happens. And I think there will be a lot of change in the next election. That would be my prediction. It will be a very big um, change platform. And I'm in sort of two minds. I think, you know, the fact that, that there's quote-unquote weak candidates, um, is that reflective of a strong liberal democracy where the institutions are so strong on their own that leadership is not as important as a place where the institutions are a lot weaker and the leader ca- needs to carry it through a lot more? Um, or is it reflective of something's broken and it sh- should still be churning out fantastic high-quality leaders? I would, those are very excellent questions, um, and I'm by no means qualified to be talking politics with you, but... Um, Don't worry, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not qualified. my personal viewpoint. Um, my thought in all of this, and in doing the Canadian comparison, just because they're our good neighbors, um, their race is much shorter. Mm-hmm. And the amount of money necessary to run for the extended period of time to, to be a candidate in the United States, you need to be insanely connected insanely wealthy and i feel like it it sort of eliminates it's just this very large barrier to entry for i mean the average joe is not going to be president of the united states but just you know the really great people who do good things and are well connected and and do well in life just don't even have a a shot at making it through the gauntlet of of time they campaign so i wonder if we shortened it a little bit if that would open the pool a little bit further but that was just a, a Using I had the other day when I was talking to some friends. Um, but wasn't Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, I mean, they, they didn't come from particular pedigree like, like the Bushes or the Kennedys. Am I right? That's, tr- that, that's very true, but they still received very large, large Ultimately. amounts of, of, of funding, yes. Ultimately. Ultimately. Anyway, we digress. Danielle Tate is the, <laughs> the, the author um, of a fantastic book, The Elegant Entrepreneur, The Female Founder's Guide to Starting and Growing Your First Company. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say, even if you're a male entrepreneur, um, it's a fantastic, nice, tight summary of what you need to think about, some of the language of business, the building blocks of business. Um, Danielle's also the CEO of, of MissNowMrs.com. We'll put a link to everything on the show notes. Danielle, it was really fantastic um, talking with you. Congrats on all your set success and and no doubt um you know we'll be staying in touch thank you kevin i really appreciate it thanks for your time bye-bye the it's a monkey podcast is brought to you by check dog use check dog to easily review and monitor your website for spelling errors broken links and broken images all with the push of one button CheckDog can also automatically monitor your website and notify you of newly introduced spelling errors. 
Go to checkdog.com forward slash podcast to receive 50% off your first month subscription. Checkdog.com, helping the world's leading websites keep their content error free. Um, Kate, what do you think about, I mean, you you sort of more the target market in a way than <laughs> I am. Yeah, no, I, um, I skimmed through her book last night actually and read... Uh, there's like a summary at the end of each chapter and I particularly like the way she's formatted the book um, and just how concise she is as well. I mean, the fact that there is that summary there, there's quotes in between chapters, diagrams and a glossary at the end, like it's super helpful. Yeah, it's really, um, it's very well, there's, she, she really hit a sweet spot with the, the, the formatting and, and the layout that just makes it, you know, there's so many good books these days and it's just, and there's so much text for us to, to digest that we need all the help we can get, you yeah, know, definitely. to just getting through it all. Yeah, no, she's, um, her writing style is very easy to consume as well, mm. which is good. And plus as well, she's tackled a lot of the um, the sort of more daunting aspects, I guess, of entrepreneurship, um, you know, finding a technical founder um, and even exit options, um, financing, you know, all sorts of things. Like I read it with a lot of interest, actually. Yeah. Um, as I say, I mean, I, I think maybe it's, you know, a nice niche marketing angle to, to aim it at the... Um, entrepreneurial woman but it's absolutely generally across the board i mean i I didn't find anything particularly no i think um, unique in terms of to the the woman angle being especially for women there's like a very small amount i think there's a might be a a page on you know what to wear you know dressing power dressing Mm. um and she probably touches on you know the fact of family and and having children and the effect of that on your business but definitely not a dwelling point Mm. yeah interesting and it is a very fast growing segment of the entrepreneurial community i mean these days everyone wants to be an entrepreneur which i see as a fantastic thing yeah Um, it's a difficult thing um never gets easier and um you know i mean i've read a ton of books in my time and i continue to read a ton of books and some you know and it's sort of like it's sort of like, you know, educating yourself is, is sort of like exercise, you know, you've you, you got to keep on doing it. And you even yourself forget some of the basics sometimes, yeah. you know, so you've got to read it from all different angles. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's um, there's a famous motivational speaker called Zig Ziglar. He passed away a few years ago, you know, and he, he used to do the circuit with um, Tony Robbins, etc. And he always say in one of his talks, people always say to me, I love coming to your talks and I get so pumped and I get so inspired. But in one week, I'm feeling flat again and I'm back to where I was. Well, he said, well, you know, I could say the same thing about taking a shower. I take a shower in the morning, you know, and mm. and by the evening, well, I'm a bit sweaty and dirty, you know. It's like, well, the next day you got to take a shower again. And it's like, you know, you got to do what you need to do to keep filling yourself up. It's, and these yeah. things aren't once of exercises. So you I, must I, have to find that, that thing that drives you as well, I would do, imagine. You do, yeah. I mean, I always like to be reading a business book and sort of a non-business book. You know, at the same time. At the same time. I mean, not literally at the same yeah. time, but you know, to, to flick between the two. You yeah. know, because otherwise, if it's only just business, it's just too. Uh, you know, it can feel a little bit. Um, you, you know, it's, it's eat, live, and breathe business, which which I do yeah. in any case. And the, the 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 other books can 
can give you insights that that will feed into your business sooner or later you know um, because it is a calling as opposed to a a, a vocation but um mm. it balances it yeah know. i recently read um one of john westenberg's articles he was interviewed on the podcast a few weeks ago and he was saying just how much he loves reading and and all the different books that can contribute to um your success i guess and he was saying to not uh undermine the power of a fiction story well i mean in many ways you know in many ways fiction well fiction's like art right yeah you know and and in many ways uh, art is more more real than real life i mean you you're a yeah. designer you're an artist you probably understand what i'm saying you know i don't want to get all sort of uh, woo woo yeah you know <laughs> but but you know how often do you walk away from a brilliant movie and and you think about you know real world it's made you think about yeah. you know self reflect about real world things as opposed mm-hmm. to maybe a documentary or something like that that you know is quite bounded you know? yeah it sort of fuels your creativity uh makes you think in a a different a different section of your brain you know you might get consumed by a certain topic so much because your business evolves around that but you know to step out into a fiction story that's completely unrelated absolutely um, i mean yeah. what i always say is you know i'm always looking for new inputs into the system for myself yeah. you know and i go to all the talks and retreats and meet new people and it's you know it's like if you look at um musicians you know it's they often go and record albums in a totally different place you know yeah. to get new inputs smell new smells see new people and just shake it up you know and i think you know as an entrepreneur it's a, it's a marathon and it's a long marathon it's a hard marathon you got you got to keep yourself going you got to keep yourself passionate and you you've you know got to got to keep on um you know having those inputs and um you know so definitely fiction mm-hmm. is uh yeah it's i, I struggle yeah, i'm very bad at reading fiction actually oh i'm the other way around <laughs> i enjoy a good fiction book when i find it but somehow i just don't have the patience Uh, you know, I like foreign movies though. Foreign movies are my thing. Okay. I really like foreign no. movies. I'm a, a sucker for a fiction. If anything, yeah, if I have to get a, a non-fiction book, if I'm interested in the topic, then I'll breeze through it, but if I'm, you know, making myself learn something or something that doesn't come naturally to me, then yeah, I just lose interest really quickly. So you mean that those new books on the blockchain I've got, you just <laughs> you're not nagging to to borrow them from me. <laughs> not exactly <laughs> <laughs> and joe who we had on the podcast a few weeks ago talking about the google we should t- get her again because we only covered the the positives of the the google um pixel phone pixel phone we should she should we should get an update on that she's always reading these zany fantasy books i see yeah. her at lunch sitting in our breakout room and she's reading you know wizards and, and sci-fi sci-fi stuff yeah, yeah and she's she's sucked into she, oh, she likes all her anime as well yeah. she loves sailor moon And um speaking of John Westenberg um he published an article on our blog a few days ago a week ago on why Twitter is still relevant in 2017 mm. um which was an interesting read as well so John's always opinionated as always which is yes. good but well, he writes he writes well in my opinion he does I, I like to hear what he has to say yeah he's is uh, and you know that's the thing i think with ha- being opinionated it's it's divisive but um you know people are always interested in what you know mm. people's opinions oh know? that article in particular i really liked how it ended up i liked the um 
the fact that he addressed lots of different social channels and, and how they contribute uh, and just where Twitter's going next year and, and currently. I think next year is going to be Twitter's year. Really? I really do. Yeah. I really do. I think this election, you know, we won't get into the whole ins and outs of, of the, the, the politics, but boy, there's been a lot happening on Twitter. I mean, it was really interesting. Yesterday, um, Donald Trump met with the New York Times. Okay. And, How'd that um, go? <laughs> 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 and um, a couple of members of the New York Times live tweeted Okay. From the meeting. Yeah. Right. And it was fascinating. You read their blog post about it and it was fantastic. And I mm. think that's really just I said this this could only happen on Twitter. You yeah. know? And and that's where Twitter really shines as the real time platform. Um, you know, and I think it's I, th- I think they're sorting out some of their challenges and um, you know, I think next year is gonna be the year of yeah. uh, Twitter. The the live tweeting and, and having a, a relevant hashtag uh, definitely makes a difference. I was at a conference a few months ago and the amount of likes and retweets and stuff I got on the tweets yeah, that we used yeah. for the conference was just unbelievable. And that's why I've always said, it. you know, Twitter should have an event like on your Facebook. You can create an event. Yeah. Right? Twitter should have that because people can create it, bundle the hashtag in it. The event oh, kicks off. Great. It just feeds into it and boom, boom, integrated. You oh, know. Straight into a calendar. Yeah. Attend. You could even tweet in, in anticipation of the event. Yeah. I mean, apparently Jack Dorsey is a very big fan of this podcast. So, um, oh, yeah. He, <laughs> you know, so Jack, come on. Just get your product team. <laughs> sort it out. <laughs> sort it out. Yeah. Make it happen. Yeah. Look, these things aren't, you know, they're not idiots. They're, they're very smart people at Twitter. And, um, you know, but, um, you know, the, the, the bigger a company and a platform becomes, you know, the more dependencies they are, mm. you know. And that's why, you know, there's always room for a startup, you know, a small startup, a one-person, two-person startup because you can move fast. Yeah. Right, that's your biggest advantage. Your biggest advantage is IBM or AT and T or Telstra. They cannot move. They just cannot move. Yeah. You know, spoke to someone who's working at um, Qantas in the tech side, um, and he just said he's just so frustrated um, with the the velocity is just not there, right? Because there's dependencies. You have to get sign off and. You know, yeah. so small business. That's what I miss about the really small days when we started Manage Flitter with James. And, you know, it was sort of just the two of us and you just yeah. move, you know. But unfortunately, things grow and their dependencies is just the way it is. It's impossible mm. to avoid that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess taking that idea back to, to Danielle's book, she she mentions uh, the, the struggle of finding a, a technical co-founder. You know, you were just lucky enough to have James here. Was that the case, or? Yeah, James. Um, you know, James was working on CheckDog. Yeah. You know, James was brought in to work on CheckDog and to help with some of the client work. Um, and we struck out with James being a genius. You mm. know, and uh, it's fortunate. Fortunate. <laughs> <laughs> you know, James is one of the few genuine full stack developers you know a lot of people call themselves full stack developers and i think it's because they can code in javascript and they can follow spec and that Mm. but james was genuine full stack in the sense of um he had design sensibility yeah you know and 
you know, genuine design sensibility and that's and an amazing developer you know super yeah. smart guy i mean if and he's actually on a lot of the podcasts i did with james if you go back to gee i don't know maybe episode 40 45 50 yeah you know all those podcasts up to there myself with james so you can listen to them and he's got his own startup now charge desk which is doing in the payment space yeah which is doing quite nicely but um yeah, we're lucky, you know, the, Melanie Perkins from Canva, who we also had on the podcast, um, and she also said, I mean, she spent quite a few months, if not longer, t- trying to find her technical co-founder. Yeah. You know, having a good co-founder is really, the most powerful thing is the startup journey and the tech startup journey, it's a rough ride, you know, and then it, mm. you've got you've got peers, you've got, you can mutually support each other. Yeah. You know? I've... I've I don't know, obviously, but I would feel that finding someone who shared your passion and your dream, but that had that technical skill, would be would be difficult to find. Very, very hard. You you know, know. She mentions going to hackathons and, and different, um, even giving them tests, you know, before you hire them type thing. But that, even then, you still would never know. The other way to do it is if you can save up a little bit of money or get investment, you can hire a few people and with the view to that the shining stars you can essentially turn them into your tech co-founder okay you but i suppose you've got to have the finance for that you got to have finance for that you know yeah. um but you know so there's there's various ways to do it you mm. know um that but on the flip side the very big reason why companies in silicon valley don't work second biggest reason after failing to find product market fit is what's that co-founder fallout yeah right it's a marriage it literally is you have to you're talking about money and equity and you know product vision and someone thinks ah you know we should we should have ephemeral another one says no it should (laughs) archive and you know and away you go so there's two schools of thought you know the the silicon valley co-founder school of thought and there's actually another school of thought where some very successful businessman there's a famous guy he passed away a few years ago one of the richest self-made guys in the uk um, felix dennis or dennis felix i always cannot remember which way it goes (laughs) i can't help you there sorry he was uh, one of the richest self-made guys a publishing guy a lot of the magazines in the uk um you know were written by him he wrote a book called get rich it's an ironic title about his journey of becoming so wealthy and he says to start up especially your first business you should go it alone he said there's so much effort in relationships yeah. he said you'd rather use that energy just to do stuff you know so there's like with everything in life there's various schools of thoughts and mm. um, you know whatever if you meet someone that you connect with and uh, you know you want to build a business together great but if you don't hey you can also give it give it a go alone it also depends on your personality it depends yeah. on a, a lot of things yeah in some ways it's probably a, you've got a better chance if you meet someone on your journey of look like consciously looking for someone rather than just going with a friend you know that that person that you meet is you're not already connected you know you've got not as much to lose well the best way as well is if people that you have worked with in the past right and this is does happen quite a bit in silicon valley as well they were on a team in google and they all leave and they start up x company you know they've worked together they they, Mm. they like the vibe already that's in a way that's that's a good solution you've 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 tested it out Mm, there must be a big threat for for big companies like google it's huge i mean i mean mean, they hire all these smart people 
and then they get along and somebody says, I've got a better idea. They all one leave. Of the, one of the biggest challenges for these companies is is losing staff, whether it's to competitors or whether it's to new startups. Mm. Um, you know, our, our businesses are built on smart people. They're in very high demand. So much so that some of these tech companies got into trouble a few years ago because they signed or they agreed informally to not poach each other's staff. That's why I was gonna I was gonna say that. I right. feel like Facebook and Google and I, there's I, another I th- company, they have an agreement that they can't poach each I other. I think it was Adobe. Adobe, okay. I th- I'm I'm not although I don't I you know, I stand to be corrected, but they got into trouble because So is it still standing? No. I mean they, it was breaking the law because it's oh. actually it's actually colluding, you know. So there's actually there's laws against collusion and um, they're not allowed to do that. Wow. So they got nailed and I think they actually had to pay some big fines. You can sort of understand why they... Who do they pay though? The government, I think. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure. It was, well, it's collusion, right? Collusion, they have collusion laws because it prevents the free market from doing its thing. Right. All right. So that's why you can't collude. Two big phone companies can't get together and say, hey, I won't decrease prices if you don't decrease prices and they go okay let's not decrease prices and who loses out the person who does the consumer oh right (laughs) (laughs) and especially if they've got a lot of market you know power in these companies you know there was quite a few of these big companies but uh, but if you did bring your prices down if you were a third party and you weren't in the collusion yes and i think there's you would lose as well and i think there's laws around you know how big these companies need to be before it's a problem and things like that if two if two little sandwich shops say oh you know let's let's not decrease the price of our coffee i don't think anyone's really going to care but if these you know some massive companies that have very big market power and between them they control 50 60 70 percent of the market they're essentially controlling prices yes right and that's so that's where these laws stem from you know and um, so they obviously got them under some type of law if if a lot of big companies in silicon valley say um, you know no we're not going to poach and you know then then in a way maybe it's also they you know these companies can be less um, you know fastidious about looking after the staff because they think well there's one less thing we have to worry about Uh, there's you know the big company down the road is not going to be at their throats and uh, i wonder what their fine print is say someone actively wanted another job if you worked at facebook and you actively want a job at google even if you went through a recruiter or something like do they still not hire you well i think a big part of the recruiting process is poaching yeah right with linkedin and everything you know people just they, they, oh, we need a product manager. Let's look at the product managers at Google and send them all an email. And, yeah. you know, so, Kate, episode 69 is done and dusted. This is a long episode. Yes, it was. There's two schools of, we get feedback. Some people like the long ones. Some people like the short ones. I mean, it depends. I like podcasts that are about an hour or so. Anything yeah. longer, I think, tends to be, and this has gone quite a bit over. Um, we'll try to keep them to an hour or so but at the same time i think sometimes you know if people are listening to the podcast on a drive or on a long walk and you know we like to give the feel that you're listening in on a conversation around the industry that uh, you hopefully pick up useful bits and pieces uh, we love to hear from you please uh, email us um, tweet us and comment on one of our facebook posts and um yeah we'll be back next week got some great interviews um, coming up so um, we'll every friday we're going to really work hard to get you this podcast um, every friday so that's episode 69 and we'll see you next week see you
See ya.